you're listening to Fundamental Frequencies, the show where we talk to people about music and how it's impacted them throughout their lives. This episode is an archived recording from May 2020, and we had such a good time interviewing John Romerheim. He is a professor at Grinnell College and as choir director, and I feel like he wears a lot of different hats, and he talks a little bit about that in this episode, and so it's just really neat to hear someone who is a professional musician and someone who sees more of the academic side of music on a regular basis and hearing how music connects to him. Yeah, it, thinking about it kind of in, in hindsight, I can't imagine being in his shoes and like just, you know, obviously his career is in music. So there's a lot of music that he knows is in, and is familiar with. And it must have been really, really difficult to pick just five. Like it's tough. For us, yes. <laughs> for people who know way less music than he does, so I can't imagine. Uh, but it was really, really cool to connect with him in that way. And it was really neat because he talked a bit about how classical music is influenced by more popular music and vice versa. So really seeing these connections between a lot of different genres of music was really interesting. Yeah, so we hope that you get um, a little something out of this episode. We thoroughly enjoyed recording it. Um, yeah, thank you again for tuning in and listening. Please remember to wear a mask, drink water, and stay safe. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome back to Fundamental Frequencies. Hey, everybody. All right, so honorable mentions. Do you want to go first? I would love to go. So this song is one that I've been listening to a lot lately, and it just feels so relatable especially for right now and it's made me think a lot about life i love those songs that just make you think about life in a whole new way and and you hear them and you're like oh my gosh wow yeah that's just so powerful so it's called searching for the truth by katie pruitt she's a kind of folk americana artist up and coming and there's some lyrics in there that i just think are so profound um i keep searching for the truth in the in a world that keeps lying oh um what's oh another lyric is who's the asshole that convinced us all that happiness isn't free like I love that so I like that too you should listen to it it just it just really makes me think about life and yeah so yeah searching for the truth let's hear yours uh mine is called Kintsugi by Gabriel Applin Um, I've heard that song and I love it I love that song so much I loved it before I really realized what it meant but um, then, so for context, I looked this up after I had already fallen in love with the song. Um, kintsugi is the Japanese art of basically gluing back together broken dishes using gold. Um, so they come out as like, you know, you can see the cracks in the dishes, but they're filled with gold. And so they're fixed. And um, so the, the song um, has a couple lyrics. It's uh, glue me back together. Um, and then all my scars are golden. Um, and so it's just kind of like these, you know, you can be broken, but gluing yourself back together or, or it can become an art form, right, of um, you can see the gold in the places where I've broken. And yeah. That's so beautiful. I was listening to that song a few months ago, like on repeat, because it is such a catchy song. And so I catchy. I thought it was just like, uh, like a word in another language and I just didn't really think too much of it I was like oh interesting 
I wonder what that means. And then I also like looked up and found the Japanese art of art, like clay. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> you described it better, but um, so I think it's just so interesting how she used that in a song. I love that meaning. Yeah. And like the whole song kind of opened up for me meaning wise after I realized that because there are so many lines that reference that like all my scars are golden and glue me back together and like I'm broken um but I'm ready to get better like all of these things that I was like I just thought they were kind of like oh those are really cute sentiment you know Um, right we love the line and then once I recognized that that was like in reference to an actual art form I was like (laughs) whoa it was so cool fun realization that's a good example yeah of how like when you know some one meaning of something, the meaning of other things just becomes that much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. We're so glad to be back with you today. And today we have a very special guest. Um, our guest today is John Romerheim, who is the director of um, multiple choirs. And um, I, I will let him introduce himself in his title, but um, I know him through Grinnell Singers and Clegue Musicum. He's been my director for um, two years now, and we're super excited to have him on the show today. So, John, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, and this is really an exciting, or it was really a fun challenge to just think about songs uh, and music that has influenced me. And yeah. so um, I appreciate the, the request very much. It's been a, just a great exercise. Well, we're so happy to have you and look forward to hearing your fundamental frequencies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love your well, title, the idea of uh, fundamental frequencies. That was uh, all Anna. And it's so funny because <laughs> we were like having dinner when we were thinking about this whole radio show plan and we were brainstorming ideas for our name. And mm-hmm. Anna, didn't you just kind of like blurt out fundamental frequencies? And at first we were like a little unsure. We were like, yeah, it took us a really long time to warm up to it. We had it on the list. We were like, no, I don't know if I really like it. Um, and then we actually saw one of Emma's friends, JC, in um, the JRC. And we were like, what do you think of this name? Um, <laughs> Fundamental Frequencies. And she was like, oh, it's amazing. I love it. And yeah. Well, the, and I mean, it's, pr- it's pretty nerdy thing to, to yeah. talk about. But this idea of, uh, for one thing, you know, sympathetic vibration has, mm-hmm. has to do with the fundamental and, and the idea of you know when you like when you put down a note on the piano silently and then play another note an octave away and then it, it will the one that you held down will vibrate sympathetically because it's because it's uh has the relationship to the other one right but that idea of you know what music has do i vibrate sympathetically to or you know, that the fundamental frequency is is such that it resonates with me. I think I just yeah. find it very appealing. That's consider. beautiful to hear that interpretation of fundamental frequencies in that way. I love that. Yeah. And then, like, if you think of all of the notes in like the overtone series as well, like your life kind of can be set up as like an overtone series or you have this big period of growth, but at all times you're going to still have that fundamental frequency or that like one song that's at the base and, and kind of setting up everything that grows above in the series oh i love the name so much and i'm not <laughs> having another name anymore like it's the whole i know i can't imagine it being anything else oh yeah so anyways well i'm glad you like the name and we're glad to have you here would you like to tell us about your first fundamental frequency um yeah i went for uh, this piece that paul simon tune the 
American <laughs> tune by Paul Simon, uh, which Paul Simon. came out mm-hmm. when I was in, you know, decades before you were born when I was in high school. And I would just, uh, there's so many things about the song. They're so um, powerful. Um, I don't know if you know that tune at all, but it's, um, it's sort of a contemplation about what it means to be an American at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's some lines in there. We come on the ship they call the Mayflower. We come on the ship that sailed the moon. We come in the age's most uncertain hour and sing an American tune. So it's like, it's like summing up, you know, the, the, the achievement and the, the, the kind of the grandeur of America, but also, you know, the uncertainty and the sense of things have gone wrong, which is you right. know, written at a time when Vietnam War, and you've got, you know, a corrupt president. Imagine that. And, um, and so, uh, just this, the way it seemed to kind of sum everything up, uh, like contrasts all at once. Um, and also the, the fact that this, this piece is based on a chorale tune, a, a hymn tune, uh, that is very, it's just a gorgeous hymn tune. I mean, you don't, you wouldn't know it. It's never announced anywhere in the song, but, uh, I don't know if, if you're a church person, Oh, sacred head now wounded. It's a, it's a Lent tune. Oh, sacred head now wounded. Uh, it's a gorgeous tune. He changes it in totally. But that tune also appears in the St. Matthew Passion, you know, like this monumental what, uh, thing by J.S. Bach. Uh, and that tune is sort of the skeleton on which he builds that piece. It, it appears a number of times. Also, the piece we sang a, a couple years ago, uh, uses that tune anyway so so he borrows this tune and it's so rich um yeah it's so uh, i love that because you it, uh, you don't get to hear like those hymn tunes in that context um or at least you don't i, I don't recognize that they're hymn tunes so like knowing no, that that I, you wouldn't but but then yeah, yeah once you know it, it's like whoa yeah and then to say this i'm singing an american tune well actually the tune is is a german tune but <laughs> but it uh, and um, just with all the turmoil, it seems to it seems to resonate today. I, I think you know because like it brings up the the image of the the Statue of Liberty and sort of all the promise of America. But then it says, you know, I don't know, I don't know a soul who's not been battered. I don't have a friend who feels at ease. I don't know a dream that's not been shattered or driven to its knees. Wow. And so it's like, I love the way it holds up both the promise and the, yeah. the opposing broken group. promise. Yeah, those two things aren't exactly mutually exclusive. They exist at the same time. It's, you very, wouldn't think they could. But. A very real picture of America. Mm-hmm. Almost terrifying, but at the same time, very beautiful. Yeah, like there's, there's something so just relieving to hear everything about it at once you know like when when you hear the bad things and the good things and just yeah yeah, it's patriotic but Uh, at the same time you like it's good to know that people recognize that there are things that are bad about it too so if everybody is feeling this kind of defeated way and like the dream is broken then maybe it's more likely that something will get fixed you know in the future if we can all kind of spread that's why like paul simon such an influential voice 
of that kind of message, I think. And also it's just kind of off the cuff. It's like, you know, very mm-hmm. informal, like, and it ends with just, just this thing. Well, well, but it's all right. It's all right. It, it's just like, we're going to go on and uh, you can't be forever blessed. Still, tomorrow's going to be another working day, and I'm trying to get some rest. So it's just, it just, um, yeah, just steps forward. Doesn't doesn't try to be try to be profound, even though it is. You know, doesn't Not sound like it's trying anything. But just like laying it all out there. So. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I don't think I've heard that. I love Paul's I don't think I have either. It's a really fine tune. Should we get into the next fundamental frequency? Yeah, so um, so really, uh, you know, like songs you'd hear on the radio, it just doesn't, that isn't, those aren't the, my fundamental frequencies. <laughs> and uh, so I think I, I went, the, the second one, uh, I went for the, the Curlin concert of Keith Jarrett. I don't know if you've heard of that. So mm-hmm. Keith Jarrett's a, this amazing artist, jazz artist, um, and in 1975, he had a concert in Cologne, Germany, um, where he, he had the practice of that, you know, thousands of people show up for a concert. He has no idea what he's going to play beforehand. And he just sits down and makes it up in the moment. And that's, that's his, like, that's his daring do. Wow. And this, it was like a confluence of, I don't know what, but that particular moment, on January 25th, 1975, he just was so brilliant. And, and so there's like an hour and a half or so of music. And it's, um, uh, well, just for me, and I heard this when I was in high school and, uh, to hear somebody, uh, just is so direct and, and drill, but the idea of improv improvising music, um, and just sort of following what's coming out of your mind, uh, was exciting to me. And, and so, you know, I tried to play like Keith Jarrett unsuccessfully, but it really, um, sort of, I think it really did sit in my psyche pretty deeply. Um, um, and, um, and I just hear the opening sounds that it's just kind of literally, yeah, it, it shakes my body. It resonates goosebumps um, immediately <laughs> and uh and also just c- kind of more on a technical way of just just the way that he controls the piano and you know like i think for musicians um it's always so important to have an imagination and so so never to be like just okay here comes an f sharp you put your finger down on that spot <laughs> but imagining sound and bring it in into and so, you know, the pianist of, you know, bringing out this, this particular note of the chord um, mm. and hearing, hearing a head, um, he's so imaginative in his playing. And that, that really inspired me to, to try to, in, in music making, to have that critical element of imagination. I heard this, heard this talk by uh, Lang Lang, the, 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 this amazing pianist. Uh, on NPR and he's talking about how so they asked him well what would you say to somebody who wants to learn how to play music and he said basically you got to learn to imagine sounds so he started to play twinkle twinkle little stars and he said well okay yeah you learn to play those notes but you got to think okay I'm going to play it short 
I'm going to play it, you know, I'm going to play it really legato. I'm going to play it, you know, so, so you, you, you step away so that you're always imagining in the sound and not just playing notes. And, uh, and that's part of what I sort of got from, because if you don't, it's, yeah, (laughs) well, you have to, in order to really make music. Yeah. Right. I mean, singers have to imagine sound ahead of time. Sometimes, unfortunately, we kind of use our voice to find the note. (laughs) (laughs) But as much as possible, you know, like imagine it ahead. I'm sure there have been studies done on this, but just like, I don't know how you would test someone's imagination or like measure someone's imagination. But I'm curious if there is a way to do that, if if it's found or it's been found that musicians have a higher level of an imagination just because of what you're describing. That huh. capability. That would be. You'd have yeah. to find a different way to um, measure imagination. I don't know where, yeah, where in the brain that happens. Yeah, yeah, like you're a psych major, Annie. Higher activity in, in one of the brain regions, probably somewhere in the frontal cortex. But yeah, I don't really know where imagination is. Yeah, awesome. I don't know how you measure that, but. Well, I know that musicians, you know, when you've been trained and gone through the, the, the rigor of having, uh, you know, dictation is like someone playing a note, note and you have to write it down that you develop a different part of your brain for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's measurable, like these brain areas that right. are activated yeah. by musicians, but not by non-musicians probably doesn't have so much to do with imagination, but with like thinking more analytically about sound. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a big part of it. The, that would probably be like the thinking within the sound, right? Like how is one thing that I'm manipulating the way that I press the key or the way that I sing this note going to change the envelope of the sound and the way that it's kind of, you know, carried around the room. That would be like the, you know, part that's strengthened by um, like the dictation and whatnot. But imagination of like kind of thinking ahead in the music is a lot different to me than thinking of what the sound is going to sound like technique wise yeah and what you just said there makes me think how how dancing also you know uh, music and dance are so close and like that you're imagining a gesture of course playing the piano or something like that it's got to be just the right gesture to hit hit the note but but you're still in it's if it's just a matter of hitting a note you have to get beyond that to find the gesture behind the music you know maybe it's this it's not this (laughs) you know (laughs) Yeah, just yeah. this creative expression. Yeah. Different movement and beginning yeah. imagination. I mean, you can play music all that you want, but it's it doesn't really become something like a piece of art until it's expressive and until you put a little bit of yourself in, into it. So. I always find it so interesting because you're a conductor, right, John? So you, mm-hmm. you yeah. have that like physical experience of the music in a way that is not like playing it, but you're like creating it in a way. I don't know. I always found that so interesting watching. Yeah. You have have to figure out a way to translate. Yeah. The, um, the energies in the music into Mm. physical gesture. It's like the feelings of, Oh, this is going, this is pulling here. This is, this is slamming down here, you know, and like, being sensitive to what the, the yeah the energies or the 
yeah, gesture movements in the music to, to try to elicit that from the from the players. That's so right. incredible to be able to have that ability and that power to do. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it goes well. It is very fun. You think like every time I play a piece of music or sing a piece of music expressively, it feels as though I'm like leaving a, a part of myself on the stage with it. So it's really cool to think that, you know, Keith Jarrett, when he played that piece um, that resonated with you was giving you a part of himself. And in turn, that became a fundamental part of yourself. Um, I love that, Anna. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like that that's like what music is. It's like from music, you find a part of yourself and then you're able to give that to other people in your interaction, mm-hmm. in your life, I guess. I don't know. You made me think of that. <laughs> right. Okay. And finding finding the resonances, the connections, or where where this note, your particular note, how it over overlaps with with others others yeah yeah I love that's why I love doing this show it's just so amazing to be able to learn about people from the music that has shaped them and I don't know Mm -hmm. I feel like music allows us to connect in a way that nothing else can that's one of my favorite things about it yeah and beyond just genres too because I feel like when when we talk about music just kind of day to day and you say like what kind of music do you like right Um, you're going to think something very differently about a person that says, I really like country music than a person that says, I really like electronic music or rock music. When in reality, it's so much more nuanced than that because like, I wouldn't say that I like country music, but I love so many country songs for different reasons. And so I think genres too kind of just put this really broad envelope on music when in reality, it's so much more individualized. I was talking to, I was talking to someone a few months ago and they were just saying how like oftentimes we associate different genres just so like we just think of them as being so different but music regardless of the genre is all trying to say the same thing just in different ways and I just love that that example or that yeah. articulation of music and the the power of it yeah, we try to, it seems like we try to, you know, build our identity partly on, on the choices, you know, and, and to be distinct by choosing this particular piece or genre to, to associate yourself with. But yeah, these connections go beyond the way in which we have this need to be particular and say, well, I like this, this, and this, and right. I'm distinct. And that's me. i'm unique because i like these things yeah (laughs) okay there are a lot more connections that can be made than that the uh the you know the first one was um uh american tune and then the my third one kind of links back to that um uh in that it it connects again to america's identity or our the promise of america that was uh, to the hands by caroline shaw which mm. we sang i don't i think anna you weren't in the choir yet right it was last year yeah i remember like hearing years it ago I think. maybe three <laughs> i think i've heard it before maybe not yeah. here but anyway it was it's um so it's Car- by caroline shaw who so it's a choir piece that that we did and the pieces that really have affected me are often the pieces i've done 
you know, because it's so go f- so far into it that it really, you really take it in. Um, yeah. And this was a very special piece. It was in 2015, 16, thinking back during the uh, refugee crisis, which is just really stunning to think that it was starting around then, or I guess earlier, uh, but still there. It's still, you know, that people are mm-hmm. still experiencing that, that trauma. Yeah. Um, but it was built around uh, the, the, well, it was a response to the, to the refugee crisis. Um, and it, it's uses as its starting point, the, uh, the Emma Lazarus poem around um, uh, that is at the base of the Statue of Liberty. And uh, so, so it sort of looks at that poem and, you know, considers whether or not we, we are living up to it. Wow. And, and um, she, she won the Pulitzer Prize a couple of years before this. And she, she was actually at Grinnell too. And she, I, I got gotten to know her a little bit. Um, and, but she, uh, she's really an important voice in America, I think today. And so when we performed it, um, each time we performed it, I, uh, I recited the, the, uh, a new Colossus, the, uh, the poem by Emma Lazarus. And, uh, and so I had that poem just, just it carried it with me. And, um, I don't know. You want to hear it? Yeah, I, I, I think I remember it. learning about it in some class in high school. It, is it does it have to do with like this? Might be so off, and I'm going to be like, where did I get this from? But like, like a chest in the desert, like or some sort of thing in the desert. No. Um, it's, it's called. It's maybe. Uh, well, it's called a new colossus. Okay, so there's the. Let's hear it, and I'll see if I. There's the. It refers, the New Colossus refers to, now I'm going to forget the name, but there, there was a, in the Greek uh, antiquity, there was a colossus, there was a huge statue that stood astride the, the port. Okay. That's what you're, uh, and yeah, I can't remember. And that's like ancient now, obviously. And it, and it was it like found in the. Yeah. It's not been found, but, but I believe, you know, the idea, it was showing how strong the city was and defending the city. Thinking of. Standing stride the two uh, so that ships have to go through its legs Um, and so that symbol of power uh, and might and aggression is what she's responding to so she calls her poem a new colossus so that's what's underneath it so she says not like the brazen giant of greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land here at our Siwash Sunset's uh, uh, gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's so beautiful. that poem, you know, and 
is so so powerful and that uh this response to it you know is is holding it up to us to say and and we're not living up to it you know is the thing and so it's so um uh the so music funny. is so powerful and uh and so she she we we she gave us the music for free with the we had the, the obligation that whenever we performed it, we had to make efforts in, on behalf of refugees. So we had uh, different fundraising um, efforts each time for different agencies, including uh, the Immigrant Allies of Marshalltown, which does great work up there. And Lutheran, uh, there's a Lutheran agency in, in, the, in Iowa that serves the refugees. Um, and... And it felt like the choir was so into it, uh, uh, totally committed to that piece. It was very special experience. I love all your fundamental frequencies so far because I think they're just such a perfect example of how one piece of work, like artwork, writing, and music, can influence something else, mm-hmm. and can be something else can be created in response yeah. to those those things. I think that's one of my favorite parts about choral music is like the ability of it to kind of take a piece of work and recontextualize it completely. Yeah. Um, And, you know, in talking about um, in choirs, talking about the five different, you know, versions of, of like a Hosanna that we've sung or (laughs) an Uh on you stay that we've sung and we can still um, kind of separate those by how they make us feel because um, mm-hmm. they're completely different songs, right? You can be saying the same words, but they mean completely different things. Or you can take a poem and respond to it in a way and every single person in the choir connects with it in a different way because it's not, it's taken out of the context that it was meant to be in. And so it means something different for a lot of different people. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So you take that Emma Lazarus poem mm-hmm which means what it means, but now you've taken it into the current situation and, and brought it before people to think of it in a different way. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to resonate with everybody in, in a different way. I'm wondering what poem I was thinking of because it wasn't that one. <laughs> <laughs> Trust yeah. in that desert. I, I'm um, curious too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have no idea. But I definitely have heard the Emma Lazarus poem, especially the last part. I feel like that's the yeah. most familiar. Give me your tired, yeah. your poor, right? Yeah. You're tired, you're poor. That's the one, that's the part that I've heard before for sure.
Well, my next one is really uh, different, but um, so when I was, so I'm going back to like, this is like what made you like, so foundational things like when you're young. So, uh, so when I was growing up, my, my brother, Doug, older brother, Doug had a, had a band that was, uh, they, they signed a contract with Columbia records it was a big deal at that time that's cool and yeah that's awesome <laughs> they were uh ended up kind of fizzling out eventually but but they were really a wonderful group and then um a few years later he he stopped doing the band and he started playing in different clubs in southern california down in santa barbara mm. so I, I was in lafayette which is up near san francisco yeah. So, so my other brother and I would go down and visit my brother Doug, and so he what he did that at that time was sing all sorts of uh, standards like American Songbook songs with guitar, and his friend played saxophone. And um, oh, awesome! And so, so anyway, so that was really f- foundational, I guess, because it was very much. Uh, it was my brother and I just is very, so I, I tried to emulate him unsuccessfully, but, um, <laughs> and playing guitar and so, cause you sleep so much better. But, um, so, so one of the songs he sang back then was when Sonny gets blue. And so, uh, which is by, uh, Marvin Fisher and Jack Siegel I had to look that up. And so, um, a few weeks ago, um, I decided to, I played that on the piano and then, uh, and sang, and then Mark Labor played saxophone over it. And so we, we did a thing, we just worked it out, and it, you know, as a, while practicing social distancing. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of a really neat, kind of a neat way to connect despite, you know, because as, as you know, you can't do it in real time, right. but, but if you're, clever enough or i mean if you you know if you just it's possible to if to add on to what to what somebody else has done and you can keep the sound quality good but this the song is really sweet you know it's sort of in the third person it's a love song love gone awry but it's it's sort of from from the side you know telling the sad story of of um you know this this person who's she said he says um people used to love to hear her laugh to to see her smile that's how she got her name since that sad affair she's lost her smile changed her style somehow she's not the same uh and so it's thinking about somebody who's you know had a hard time and then it turns toward the optimist or it, it has a note of hope you know but memories fade and pretty dreams will rise up where the other dreams fell through, you know, it's a beautiful sentiment and a lot of people's dreams have fallen through these days. And, uh, and just that note of, of, uh, you know, not optimism, but that things can turn around eventually. Thank you. 
harmonies for that song are just incredible i mean like every i mean every seems like to modulate every you know measure practically it's really, <laughs> really kind of hard to find the chords it's like, <laughs> oh my god what's that next chord um it's it's not you know you're a three chord piece um <laughs> i really like it a little more it. exciting than that and yeah it's, it's some of those those songs like from the 40s and 30s and just so well crafted and rich and just mm -hmm. yeah growing up my family always had those um like american songbooks um and so we would do uh like on our family reunions we would have you know sit around the campfire and some people would play guitar and we'd all sing and every, most of my extended family have incredible voices they all sing in church choirs and um so people would just kind of start singing like these really crazy wild harmonies and it wow. got really complex, but it was always so much fun because everybody was singing something different and just having a good time. Sounds yeah. beautiful. Sounds like so that's the memory I associate with those those types of American songbook songs. I have that songbook like over here. I would go grab it, but you you know what it looks like. I love how simple just like there's just so many songs in there mm -hmm. that are such classics and yeah. Perfect campfire songs, like you were saying. Perfect. Yeah. I thought I'd finish up with um, Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Aww. I love Joni Mitchell. Just because, <laughs> a good song. I mean, because the line in there, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? 
that has really gone through my head a hundred times. Yeah. I mean, like as a choral musician, it's like, you know, like we're, we're just about to head out on a tour to Europe. Yeah. So, you know, like yeah. these are rich people problems, but I don't know. It's well, just, they still make us feel <laughs> things and unfortunate. Yeah. And it's, God, it's such an upbeat song and it's, uh, it's funny. It's too, you know, they took all the trees, put them in a tree museum and they charged the people a dollar and a half just to see them. Such good lyrics. Joni Mitchell is just a genius. <laughs> he really is a lyrical genius. And then I love at the end, she, she decides to pull the, pull the tune up an octave and put in the fucking lot. Then she used the very bottom of her voice, which sounds kind of ridiculous at the very end. Yeah. Like up an octave and then she goes to the bottom, like she can barely sing it. And, and then she just ends like she's laughing at herself. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way. It's all about like, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. And sometimes that makes the most like influential things that you stick with people when you're able to kind of let go of being embarrassed, right? <laughs> and just be able to laugh at yourself and do something that you think is fun. And yeah. yeah. I love that. It's and, like when it, like certain Beatles songs and some others where yeah. they start it, they start it with just sort of informally, like you hear someone just kind of saying something random. And there's just some random noise. Like you really feel like, oh, this is just people getting getting ready. To, so it's not all, everything isn't just strictly, you know, produced such that the first moment or the last moment is uh, is connected. It sort of goes right into just regular life where you just have a feeling of actual people yeah. doing this. It isn't. As if you're just in the room listening to them. Practicing yeah. In the, in the studio, hanging out. Um, there's one song that I discovered a couple of months ago that kind of has that, but at the very end, there's this whole section where it's just um, a recording of the artist's grandma and grandpa being like, oh, I miss you, Nico. I hope you're doing really well. I love you and we miss having you here. And that's the end of the song. And it's just kind of like throws you off where you're like, am I listening to like somebody's grandma and grandpa? Right now? <laughs> but it's kind of like really cool and I really like it for some reason. So. Yeah. It's those things that drag you out of the music again. There's an, another artist, Gabby Hanna, who has created um, a whole album where uh, like some of the songs in between are just the recordings. So when you listen to the whole album through, you have like the big main songs, but then in between those songs, you have the conversations that inspired them. Oh, that's kind so of. And those, those little recordings are just like, you know, a quick 10 second clip, but kind of goes back to we were talking about a few episodes ago of like listening to an album in its entirety gives you a whole new message i wanted to really yeah. listen to those just on shuffle but yeah because that's so easy to do now so it's just like yeah it takes yeah. Kind of the story out of the the song progression in a way right but maybe there's no story anymore because people aren't creating music for that reason in the same way i don't know I want to do something with like the initial recording of like a song that I have finished writing and have recorded and then like have that either before or after the song, if I were to like make an album of that, like, I feel like that would be cool. Kind of similar to what you're saying, just to have like that yeah. really raw and like the beginning of a, of a song so that people can hear it. I just yeah. think that's so fun to listen to. I love that, I love that a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 I guess it's a pretty different thing, but sometimes there's a bit of a leap uh, like in, in Beethoven like 
there's moments where it feels like the music is writing itself. Like he doesn't, he's not quite sure. He's going to try out this idea. He's like, hmm, let's go like this. No, no, it's going to go like this. You know, it's like, yeah. there's moments when uh, you feel like that in Beethoven. He's just, oh, he's written that in. He's written in the sense of like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next either. So yeah. <laughs> Kind of the same with, this is, again, kind of a, a stretch, but with comedy, um, people are, I've, I've heard people say, like, the key to comedy is saying, or like a comedian, is me saying the exact opposite of what you think I'm going to be, I'm going to say. That's why things are funny. And it's this kind of the same thing in music, right? Like, if if a piece of music goes exactly where you think it's going to go, it's not going to be interesting. It's not going to stick with you. Mm-hmm. But if you ha- have that feeling, like, with Beethoven of, oh, where is this going to go? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then it goes off in like some complete other direction, which Beethoven is really good at doing, yeah. right? It's kind of keeping yeah. it really interesting. That's what really resonates with you. Anna, that hard. reminds me of, we learned about that in the class we were in together in the fall, music, mind, and brain, how like yeah. what is really, what what stands out to people in music are those moments of surprise when a note is so different than what you were expecting and just like, how the expectation versus the actual uh-huh. thing like happens is really cool. And then, but mm-hmm. being able to set up the expectation is, is important. That, yeah. That's uh, also tricky. Because if you can't set up, if everything is unexpected, then right. you turn it off too. <laughs> yeah. There's like a that's, perfect in between. Fascinating. Yeah. Is that all five? <laughs> I think that was five. I had, I had other ones, but. You only get five. No, it's so hard to <laughs> narrow them down. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was yeah, really blast. lovely way to spend the afternoon. It was so yes. fun to Appreciate hear it. your songs and just the stories behind them. It's so many, mm-hmm. so many different things that have inspired those pieces. It's really cool. I love it. Thanks so much right. for doing mm-hmm. this. Have a great week. We'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs>